you should be standing at the mouth of a small alleyway called Puma Court. Stand with your back to the busy road and look down the small alley. You're now in Spitalfields in Shoreditch in the east end of London. This area is known for its vibrant and densely packed array of sights, sounds and flavours and it also has a rich and sometimes gruesome history. It's in streets like this where Jack the Ripper committed his crimes, but we're not here because of some Victorian psychopath. We're here to get under the skin of this neighbourhood. It's been a haven for the French Huguenots in the 17th century, for Jewish refugees from Eastern Europe in the late 19th century, and for the Bangladeshis in the 1970s. And each wave of settlers left its own fascinating imprint on these streets. I should introduce myself. I'm Regina Sabor-Cross. I'm a food writer, an avid cook and a blogger. Though I was raised in West London, the East End has been my playground since I was a kid. My parents came to London from Bangladesh in the 60s and I've spent many a weekend here with my mother shopping. In 2008, I moved into this area and it was just around the corner in Shoreditch Town Hall where I married my husband. Today I'll be taking you through the neighbourhood and introducing you to some of the people, places and of course some of the food that makes it so remarkable. But for our first few stops, we're going back in Shoreditch's history. So for now I'll leave you in the knowledgeable hands of Rachel, who knows Shoreditch's past better than anyone. Thanks a lot Regina. Hello, my name's Rachel Lichtenstein. I'm an artist, writer and historian and I've been living and working in this area for decades. Make sure you're facing down Puma Court with a busy road behind you. We're going to walk halfway down this alley just to that black lamppost up ahead. I first came here to research my own Jewish heritage and soon became fascinated by this place. I've also written two books about the area, one of which, Ombrick Lane, is all about the changing face of the neighbourhood over the last 200 years. All right, let's stop here, by the black lamppost in the middle of the alley. Now, with your back to the main road, turn to your left. Do you see those two identical brick houses? The ones with the little wooden shutters painted turquoise? They're the Norton Fullgate Almshouses, a charitable housing organisation that's been going since the 1800s. Look up to your left. Inserted onto the wall, you can see a plaque. It's the same colour as the brickwork, so it's not easy to find. But once you've spotted it, you will read there that this place was founded in 1860. Back then, this alleyway would have been lined with tenement housing, the same ones that are here today actually, opposite the almshouses, except the living conditions inside would have been much, much worse. Each of these tenement homes would have been crammed full of people, with up to 12 members of the same family often living in a single room. The social environment of Victorian Spitalfields was truly horrific. The majority of the area was crime-ridden, squalid and really overcrowded and considered to be a no-go area for so-called respectable people. The rents here were actually high per square footage and therefore the slum landlords were often very wealthy. They took advantage of the poorest members of society who were only able to rent a single room. Okay, let's get moving. Turn so the almshouses are on your left and carry on walking down this alleyway in the same direction as before. When you get to the end of the alley, take a left and carry on walking along the sidewalk. The first migrant group to settle in this area in large numbers were Huguenots, French Protestants escaping persecution in Catholic France in the late 17th and early 18th centuries. They settled in this neighbourhood in the grand merchant houses in Fournier, Wilkes and Princelet Streets, where they operated as master silk weavers. Coming up on your right is Princelet Street. When it's safe, cross over the road to your right and head up Princelet Street. OK, you should now be on Princelet Street. Keep walking along the right-hand sidewalk, 
I'll tell you when to stop. Look up to the attic rooms of the Georgian terraced houses on this street and you can see the large attic windows where the Huguenots used to do their silk weaving. They needed as much light as possible so they could focus on the minute detail of their work. In the 19th century, two more waves of settlers arrived in the area. Irish immigrants came to escape the horrors of the potato famine in the 1840s, and then over 100,000 Jewish immigrants came from the 1880s onwards, fleeing anti-Jewish persecution in Russia. OK, coming up on your right will be a black wooden door with a number 20 on it. Stop when you get there. Are you with me in front of the dark wooden door with number 20 on it? Great, now turn to face the street. You are looking for a brown wooden double door. Above the second floor windows there are horseshoes nailed to the wall. Do you see the building I mean? OK, don't cross over to it. Stay on this side of the road so you have a bit of perspective. When the Jewish immigrants arrived in this area, the place was already run down. Many of them set up workshops as tailors, cabinet makers, boot makers and second-hand clothing dealers, amongst other trades. And just like the Huguenots before them, they often lived and worked in the same house. From the outside, the house number 19 looks pretty much the same as the other typical Georgian silk weaver houses, doesn't it? But there's nothing ordinary about this building. In the 1860s, a beautiful synagogue was erected in the back garden and it is now the second oldest Ashkenazi synagogue in London. And this synagogue has a special resonance for me because it is where my grandparents were married. Look down at your phone now to see a picture of my grandparents, Gedalia and Malka Lichtenstein on their wedding day. My grandparents were Polish Jewish immigrants who arrived here in the 1930s and they had their first marital home and business, a jeweller's and watchmaking shop, on the corner of Brick Lane and Princelet Street, which is now an Indian restaurant. Some years ago now, I wrote my first book, Radinsky's Room, based on a strange story about the mysterious disappearance of an orthodox scholar called David Radinsky, who lived in the attic rooms above this synagogue. He disappeared sometime in the 1960s, leaving behind his locked room. The book tracks both his story and my own personal exploration into the wider stories of the Jewish East End and my Jewish heritage. I could obviously talk about this building for hours, but you've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'll hand you back to Regina. Thanks, Rachel. OK, let's get moving. Turn so the road is on your left and continue walking down the street the same way you were going. We're heading towards Brick Lane. I'll tell you all about it in a minute. But first, I want to show you something. Stop walking when you reach a piece of street art on your right that depicts a woman in a burqa OK, let's stop here for a moment. Do you see the artwork? It's painted on the back of a fire exit. If a fire exit door is open, you're out of luck. But you can see an image of the piece on your screen. It's by Stick, a graffiti artist and Shoreditch resident. Like lots of graffiti artists in the area, Stick's work is characterized by its social commentary. If you'd like, go ahead and use Detour's camera feature to take a photo and post it to your social media. Just hit pause if you want to do this. Now, turn and stand with your back to Stick's Graffiti, facing the other side of Princelet Street. Look to your right, to the house on the corner. Do you see, just below the second-story windows, there's a sign that says Princelet Street. Look both ways for cars and then cross over to get a closer look at that sign. Stop just under the Princelet Street sign. Do you see underneath it there's another sign in a completely different script? That's Bengali, the language of Bangladesh. The UK became a much more cosmopolitan place in the latter part of the 20th century. 
The 1948 British Nationality Act allowed the 800 million subjects of the British Empire to live and work in the UK without a visa. The Bangladeshi community moved here in the 1970s because of the violence and turmoil created by the War of Independence against Pakistan. They flocked to this corner of the capital and made Brick Lane their own. So much so that lots of people call it Bangladesh now. And as you'll see, lots of street signs are written in Bengali as well as English. Now turn to your right, so you're facing Brick Lane. Check out the people. Hopefully you're seeing lots of different nationalities. The diversity is one of the things I love about this neighbourhood. Around 90% of Bangladeshis who arrived in the UK were from Silet, in the northeast, which was a really poor region. They came looking for a better life, but the newcomers faced overcrowded accommodation, language and cultural barriers, and even the threat of violent attacks by fascist groups. But in a way, this played a role in Brick Lane becoming a hub for the community. Together they felt safe. Right, turn so your back is to the Princelet Street sign you were just looking at. Check for cars and cross over Princelet Street again. Then turn immediately left and cross the zebra crossing to the other side of Brick Lane. You should be on the other side of Brick Lane. Turn right and carry on walking. Okay, you're now walking on the iconic Brick Lane. So called because it used to be the centre of London's brick manufacturing district way back in the 16th century. The building on your right is Brick Lane Mosque. We're going to stop here for a second. Here's Ansar Ahmed Ullah, a community activist who's lived and worked in the East End of London since the 1980s. He's going to tell you a bit more about the history of the mosque. Hi, as Rosina just mentioned, I'm involved with community work. I'm part of the Shadinata Trust, which is a small community group that was set up to promote Bengali history and culture amongst young people. This mosque has been my local mosque for almost 40 years. If I'm not working, I come here for Friday prayers and other kinds of prayers and events. Can you see the small circular window on the pediment? And then the tall arch windows on the second floor? You might think this mosque looks a bit more like a church. Well, you're right. This building wasn't purpose-built mosque. It was originally a Protestant church for the Huguenot in the 18th century and then acquired by the next large group of settlers, the Jewish community. But as they prospered and moved out of this area, the Bengalis started to arrive in the 60s. So, wanting a place of worship, they acquired this building from the Jewish community in 1976 and converted it into what it is today, the Brick Lane Mosque. So this building in front of you has been a place of worship for at least three different faiths for the last 250 years. Now because of its historical importance, this building is protected and there is not much that can be done to the exterior or the interior of this structure. So to give it a feeling of a mosque, without changing the structure, a freestanding minaret was placed in the corner of the building in 2010. It's the cylindrical metal structure on your left hand side. Can you see it there in the corner? Minarets are one of the most evident elements on a mosque and from where the call to prayer is usually made. This one lights up at night. I really like this mosque because the building itself has an interesting history. But also because this is not just a place of worship, it also has a social purpose. It's where you meet family and friends and connect with the rest of the community. It gives you a sense of belonging. Thank you, Ansar. Now, with the mosque to your right, start walking along Brick Lane again. Look across the street and up ahead to the right. Do you see a little sweet shop on the corner called Raj Mahal Sweets? That's where we're headed. When it's safe, cross Brick Lane and I'll meet you in front of the shop. Are you in front of the shop? Good. Take a look in the window. In this little shop you can find a remarkable assortment of Indian and Bangladeshi sweets and snacks. Bengalis, we do love our sweets. 
They're a must at any kind of celebration and the choice is endless. In a second, we're going to duck in there and have a look at their ginormous range of treats. Don't worry, the guys inside know about Detour. They're happy to advise on sweet selection if you want to treat yourself to a bite. So let's go inside. Don't forget to greet the staff as you enter. And then turn to look at the counter on your right. Go on, get closer. All those shapes and colours. Shall we try to find two of my favourite ones? Let's have a look. The yellow orbs, can you see them? I can't tell you exactly where they're going to be because the display changes, but they'll definitely be there somewhere. Take a look at your phone if you'd like. There'll be a picture of some to help you find them. They're called laddu and they're made with lentil flour, sugar, ghee, which is clarified butter, and saffron. They're lovely. Another one that I absolutely adore is called rasmalai, round pistachio-flavoured curd dumplings on a creamy sauce. Again, if you need some help, take a look at your phone and there'll be a picture of some rasmalai to help guide you. It's difficult to decide what to get, isn't it? If you're slightly overwhelmed, you can always ask the shopkeeper on the other side of the counter and they'll help you out. If you want to buy something, pause me and then push play when you're back outside and ready to continue. Are you back outside with me? Great. Turn to face the side of the mosque. Start walking up Brick Lane, back the way we just came, but keeping on this side of the street. Food is really important in Bangladeshi culture. Every time you cook, you're keeping history and traditions alive. Back in the day when my parents came to London, garlic was seen as an exotic ingredient. Can you imagine? The only place in London you could get proper Bangladeshi food was Brick Lane. So, as a child, I'd come here with my parents to do the weekly shop. You should be approaching the corner of Brick Lane and Princelet Street. Stop when you get there. Okay, you should be standing still with the Eastern Curry Balti House restaurant to your left. I want you to see where we're going next. Look diagonally across from here to the shop on the corner. Three shops along from that, you'll see a red sign with white lettering that says Taj Stores. That's a small Bangladeshi market where we're heading next. So go ahead and cross both streets when it's safe and walk down to the entrance of Taj Stores. I'll meet you there. Okay, you should be approaching Taj Stores. Stop when you get to the entrance. Right, are you standing outside Taj Stores? This is a brilliant little Bangladeshi supermarket. I used to shop here myself for my own recipes. Before we go in, you should know that it's absolutely fine to wander around. Jamal, one of the owners, is a friend of mine, and he knows that you and other detour takers will be exploring his shop. So let's head on inside. Alright, once you're inside, I want you to go to the right side of the shop, where the fruit and vegetables are. Do you see them? Take your time. Look out for the jackfruit, a big spiky green oval-shaped fruit. Do you see it? Take a look at your phone if you need some help, and a picture will appear on the screen. Jackfruit are the national fruit of Bangladesh and the largest tree-borne fruit in the world. When you open jackfruits, you find little pinkish pieces that are crunchy and sweet, almost like candy. Mmm, delicious. Now, go to the middle of the display. Do you see the different types of green beans? We use many varieties in Bengali cooking. Also, if you're in luck, there may be some tamarind around. It's a pod-like fruit with a brownish colour. Have you ever tried one? They're sweet and tangy and a staple ingredient in Bengali dishes like tamarind prawns or indeed most fish dishes and also in black chickpea curry. Again, take a look at your phone if you need some help identifying it. Food 
was one of the reasons I moved to the East End. I was just spending so much time commuting to get ingredients from here that I decided to move to the source. Shops like Taj are a blessing. Now let's move further inside the shop. On your right, you'll see the counter packed with treats. Also, they usually display very tiny bananas and ready-to-eat jackfruit in little packages to take away. Don't worry, I'll give you time to explore and buy what you'd like when we're done. Do you hear the music? They usually have Bengali music playing, and you can probably smell the aroma of burning incense too. In Bangladesh, and all around India really, Incense is used to purify the air, clear odours and even to keep insects away. Now we're looking for the spice aisle. It should be the sixth one on your left, but you can check the signs just to make sure. Have you found the spice aisle then? If you're into cooking, you should definitely look for a packet of Poncheferon or Five Spice, a mix of cumin, brown mustard, fenugreek, nigella and fennel. This is a typical combination of Bengali spices that will bring flavour to any dish. Or, if you're into super spicy things, you need to go to aisle 4 for a sauce called Mr. Naga. There's an image of it on your phone if you want to look for it. Naga means snake in Bengali. It's a super hot smoked chilli sauce, but I can assure you it's like nothing else. This is my absolute favourite. I'll add it to my curries, stir-fries, and I even mix it with mayonnaise so I can have a spicy version at home. Now before you leave the shop, go past the butcher's area and look up at the back wall, above the frozen section, at the Welcome to Taj store's neon sign. There's a big black and white photo of the first Taj shop. Can you see it? Get closer if you need to. Here's Jamal, one of the owners to tell you a bit more about the shop's history. Thank you, Regina. Hello, my name is Jamal Kayyum Khalik, and I run this market with my two brothers. People know us as the J brothers, so my eldest brother is called Junel. I'm Jamal, and the youngest one is Janal. We are a family business, and we've been going for over eight years. We're part of the community and have lots of regulars, but growing up here wasn't pleasant. It was very dirty and smelly because of the Truman Brewery, which you will see with Regina in a bit. So three times a day you would see smoke coming out of the road and the stench of, of it would go into ventilation systems, stinking up the entire rooms and streets. But then we also had another larger issue, actually racism in those times. The National Front, a far-right political party, was around and there were attacks and lots of fights every Sundays. The shopkeepers here would be at ready to put their wooden shutters down when they saw troubles was coming down because during the fights, windows would get smashed up. It was pretty tough. Are you still facing the pictures high up on the wall? Now those pictures on the top wall or top of the walls are the previous family shops. The picture on the left shows my family first shop. It was opened by my uncle back in 1936. He was called Abdul Jabbar and he came here from Bangladesh or as it was known as East Pakistan. It was just a small green grocer for the locals. Then my father, Al-Hajj Abdul Khalik, came to England as a student in the 50s. He ended up running the business with my uncle for 20 years. Then eventually he moved it within a block of here. Look up to the second picture on the right. That's the place, it's where I grew up with my two brothers and my sister. Our house was on the top of the shop. I was around 17 when I was joined Tarchos. We gradually grew the business with my father and finally moved here in 1979. My father passed away in 1994 and since then my brothers and I have continued the family legacy and are very proud and happy to be an important part of the community. Thanks for listening to my family story. Here's Regina. Thanks Jamal. All right if you'd like to look around the store just pause me and press play when you're outside and ready to continue. Okay, you should be outside Taj stores. With your back to the shop, turn right and start walking up Brick Lane. Jamal's description of the violence here was spot on. Some people would call Brick Lane a ghetto in the 70s. There were no white people here, which was the opposite of our neighbourhood in West London. 
where we were the only non-white family. When I first visited Brick Lane as a three-year-old, I was amazed to hear everyone here speaking Bengali. I thought only my family spoke Bengali. At the corner, turn right off Brick Lane. This is Hanbury Street. We're only going down it a few paces, and then we'll stop. Okay, walk a few paces along the sidewalk and stop outside number 40, which is on your right. It's a grey building with double doors and the number 40 drawn on the wall above the door. You should be standing outside number 40. From here, you have a great view of the giant artwork of a bird on the side of that building across the street. Hanbury Street is just one of the many side roads off Brick Lane that's full of wonderful graffiti. It's a sign of what the area's become. To tell us a bit more about how the East End and Brick Lane became such an artist's mecca, here's Lee Bofkin, the co-founder of Global Street Art. Hi, globalstreetart.com showcases thousands of street art photos uploaded by different artists in over 100 countries. It was founded in 2012 right here in Shoreditch. Our mission is to live in painted cities. And apart from promoting street art on our website, we organise legal murals. We've organised more than 1,500 since we started. In fact, we've organised more than half of the bigger pieces in this area since then. Now let's talk about that imposing black and white bird on the side of the building over the road. It's a 30-foot tall piece painted by world-famous Belgian street artist Roa. He painted it in 2010 and I think it took him around eight hours to finish. Roa's work features portraits of animals. Hanbury Street has always had street art on it, and a lot of that's down to Shafi Rahman, a local documentary maker and an avid street art fan. He's been a bridge between the local landlords in the Bangladeshi community and the artist community. It's Shafi who got permission from the building's owner, Mr. Hussein, a curry restaurateur, to use the wall for Rowers mural. This neighbourhood started to get popular with artists in the 90s, when local buildings became disused and empty because of an economic downturn. A wave of new people came to live in the empty buildings, sometimes squatting, and that was the young alternative and underground crowd, basically the artists. They started to make this area their home and that had a snowball effect. Street art was part of that. This area was one of the key areas where Banksy used to put up his early work in London, and a lot of the original London-based street artists used to live and certainly work around here. Social media has played a key role in Shoreditch becoming a centre of the London street art scene with people taking pictures and sharing them on uh, Instagram and other platforms. Street art photographers often come to look for the latest pieces here. So even though lots of the artists have moved out of the area, it's still a place that local and international artists want to come and paint, so their work can be seen and photographed by people all over the world. Anyway, the best be off. Thanks for listening, and here's Regina. Thanks, Lee. Let's get going. Face Hanbury Street and cross over the road to the other side. Once you're across, turn left and head back towards Brick Lane. Coming up on the corner, there'll be a bright orange cafe. This is our next stop, Dark Sugar's Cocoa House. Follow the sidewalk around the corner towards the second entrance of the shop. Are you outside Dark Sugar's Cocoa House? Great. This is one of Brick Lane's newcomers, and as you can tell and smell, they do chocolate. Really, really good chocolate. Like the street artists, they're a bit of a newcomer to Brick Lane. They were founded in the nearby Spitalfields Market just 20 years ago. At the time, they only had two types of chocolates, but from humble beginnings, they've had real success. This shop is massively popular now. Why don't you head on inside and see why? But once again, it's not for me to bang on about. Here's the proud owner and cocoa wizard, Nyanga. Hi guys, welcome to Dark Sugars. My name is Nyanga and I founded the company a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you my age because it makes me feel old. As you walk into the shop, the first display you see is the Grand Cru selection of chocolate truffles. So on the left hand side, you'll find between 10 to 12 flavours of handmade truffles. We started right here in East London. It was just me on a stall at Spitterfields with two bowls of chocolates and my first favourite words to hear in this business was when a customer said to me, can I try some chocolate? Can I try? And that's hence the reason why all the time we're giving out samples. I would always recommend the chocolate overdose because it's just chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. It's basically just a very smooth ganache, which consists of two parts chocolate and one part cream. 
and it's rolled by hand. Then we dip it in 85% chocolate again and then rolled in extra brute cocoa powder. The chili is another favorite of mine. Because of the amount of cocoa in it, you don't get hit by the chili straight away. People always say, oh, it's not that spice, and then boof. You know, so it's usually a nice surprise. And sometimes, if it's not so nice, we can give you a little bit of white chocolate to tone it down a little bit. What makes dark sugar special is our cocoa. The cocoa we use is not in high production, but it's from a small farm that we have in Ghana, which my grandmother used to own. I spent a small part of my childhood with my grandmother in Ghana. And I never knew cocoa was chocolate because even though we're the biggest producers, we don't consume chocolate. We'll have it as a dessert, as a fruit dessert. And that's all I knew of cocoa. Basically, when we eat the fruit, what we spit out, that is the beans that are roasted and made into chocolate in the Western world. I hear people all the time say Belgian chocolate or Swiss chocolate. But this silent little voice tries to tell me to change that a little way. Because, as you know, cocoa isn't grown in Switzerland or Belgium. It's grown in Africa. What we're trying to do nicely is to take that saying away about Belgian chocolate and Swiss chocolate and start recognising the continent that produces cocoa. Thanks, Nyanga. All right, if you'd like to look around the store, just pause me and press play when you're outside and ready to continue. Okay. Back with me and outside? Great. With your back to Dark Sugars, look to your left, down Brick Lane, where we've just been walking. Do you see all the curry restaurants? Walk forward and to your left a few paces if that helps you get a better view, but stay on the pavement, on this side of the road. You should see the Preem Balti House on the corner to your left, the standard Balti House down the road on the right-hand side, and many more. They're hard to miss. This is part of Brick Lane's famous curry row. There are curry houses everywhere, with restaurant promoters outside, trying to capture customers, all promising you the best curry in the world. For decades, this has been the image conjured in the British consciousness when anyone mentions Brick Lane. Even though I used to live within walking distance of Curry Row, I always avoided the restaurants on Brick Lane, because in my opinion, their food is aimed at the Western palate. Many of the local restauranters have admitted to me that they wouldn't eat this at home themselves. But in 2009, I had the opportunity to be a judge for the Brick Lane Curry competition, and I was very happy to find authentic flavours among the competitors. Some of the dishes were incredible. I remember the contestants looking at me when I was trying their dish. They would stare, hoping I'd give away my thoughts through a gesture. I could see how important this was for them. This is the one day of the year when they strut their stuff. Before we head off, how about learning a short sentence in Bengali to let the restaurant promoters, or touts as we call them, know politely that you're not interested in eating at the moment. Okay, ready? Repeat after me, Amar Kida Lagenai. That translates into, I'm not that hungry right now. Take a look at your phone, you can see the phonetic version on your screen now. Let's try it again. Amar Kida Lagenai. Got it? Don't worry if it doesn't sound perfect. Okay, Turn So Dark Sugars is on your right and Brick Lane is on your left. We're going to walk up the right-hand side of Brick Lane. Remember, if the touts try and attract you with their offer, use your Bengali phrase, It doesn't matter if it doesn't sound exactly the same. They'll be blown away that you even gave it a try. You're approaching a small street. When you reach it, turn to your left and cross over Brick Lane. Once you're across the street, you'll see a black door with a sign saying Vintage Market. Meet me there. Are you by the entrance to the Vintage Market? Great. Part basement, part maze. This place is packed with stalls, selling the new, the old and the odd. Vintage dresses, 80s t-shirts, big old sunglasses and extravagant furs. It's open from Thursday to Sunday from 11 till 6-ish. If you're in luck and it's open, then head on through the big black doors and down the rabbit hole. Pause me now and press play once you're back outside.
Okay, outside the vintage market. With your back to the door, turn to your left and look up. Do you see that big bridge spanning the road with the black eagle on it? This entire complex around you is the old Truman Brewery that Jamal mentioned earlier at Taj Stores. That black eagle is the Truman Brewery emblem. Start walking, heading under that bridge. The Truman Brewery was founded in 1666, but its golden era was at the beginning of the 20th century. Back then, it was the biggest brewery in the world. But after a slow decline due to stronger rivals, the brewery was finally closed in 1989. And in the 1990s, the abandoned brewery buildings became an artist's hub. We'll hear a bit more about that later. Keep walking on the left-hand side of Brick Lane until you reach some big black metal gates on your left. Stop when you get to them. Do you see the glass-fronted office building behind the gates? Well, this all used to be part of the brewery complex as well. Nowadays, it's used as offices, but there's still one little insider's tip that's worth checking out. You get a lovely panoramic view of the area from the top of the complex, but before you head in, listen to my instructions carefully. In a minute, we'll walk towards the main entrance where the revolving doors are. They lead to the lobby. Once you're in the lobby, you'll see some elevators. Go into any elevator and press the button for the fourth floor. But before we go in, remember that this is a place of work, so please be quiet and respectful. Also, you'll have to take your headphones out. You can put them back in and press play when you've reached the fourth floor. Don't stop and speak to the people on reception or the security guards. This is a bit of a secret mission. Remember, we're going to the fourth floor. OK, pause me now and go for it. OK, are you with me at the top? Lots of the nearby buildings you can see from here are part of the old brewery complex. My favourite bit is the Truman's chimney. It's really imposing. Why don't you take a selfie with the view and the chimney in the background? You can take a photo without leaving the Detour app. Just choose the camera feature and then snap away. When you're done admiring the view, put me on pause and press play again outside. Back outside and standing on Brick Lane? Great. Here's local artist and author Rachel Lichtenstein to take you on the next part of the journey. Hi. Hope you enjoyed the view. OK, stand with your back to the black metal gates of the Truman Brewery. Now turn to your right and start walking. We're going back down Brick Lane, the same way we came. Let's go. After the brewery closed, these buildings were turned into cheap studio spaces for artists to rent. You had to be willing to work in a derelict room without heating. I should know. I was one of those artists. We're going to take the next right. So it's underneath the archway and into the Truman Brewery complex. There'll be a canteen and shops on your left. Keep on walking. I'm a sculptor and when I first moved here in the 1990s, there was lots of interesting material for a sculptor to use, from remnants of the still functioning rag trade abandoned on the street, to hessian sacks from Bengali cafes covered in Arabic texts, that were once filled with spices and rice, all of which I used to make my sculptures. Coming up on your right will be a music shop called Rough Trade. Stop when you get there. Okay, are you in front of Rough Trade? This is one of London's most iconic record shops. Head inside and have a look about. And here's Nigel House, co-founder and owner of Rough Trade, who will tell you a bit more about the place. Cheers, Rachel. Hi, guys. Nigel here. Please come inside and walk through the cafe area. I want you to go ahead and make your way to a display of records and thumb through some of them. Do you notice anything different? Keep looking while I tell you about this place and see if you pick up on it. I've been one of the owners of Rough Trade since 1981 
I was in London doing a postgraduate degree in landscape architecture when I was offered a job in the original Rough Trade shop in West London. I was so obsessed with music that I took it straight away. Then, six months later, the shop was going to close because of financial problems at the label and distribution, so I managed to buy the shop with two of my friends. By then, we were probably around 23, 24, no kids, no mortgage, so we just thought, why not? Let's get on with it. And I've been doing it ever since, and I still love it and have no regrets. I guess taking that job was fate. And no, I never did finish my degree, but I still enjoy gardening, and I love growing chilies and tomatoes at home. Now, did you figure out what's different about us? We don't organise our records alphabetically. We've got quite an unusual system of filing in the racks, because if you file everything alphabetically, well, you'll probably just find what you're looking for, and there's no space for discovery. If you need a hand trying to find something or need some advice, ask any of the staff behind the counter. They'll help you out. I always hated those record shops that are snobbish about music, you know, like in that film High Fidelity when Jack Black is so rude to the customer. You'll definitely not get that vibe here. We want you to feel welcome and excited about discovering new things. If you're looking for English classics, try The Libertines, The Clash, The Sex Pistols or Massive Attack. We've got that, but if you're looking for something different, you should have a taste of our favourite picks. Just grab one of the many headphones hanging on the shop's columns. They are all around Rough Trade. Do you see them? Oh, before I forget, there is a photo booth by the entrance on the right-hand side of the shop. Feel free to go inside and take some fun bits to remember us by. You can get a voucher at the counter. Anyway, that's probably enough from me. If you'd like to have a browse, pause me and press play once you're outside and ready to continue. Rachel will meet you there. Thanks, Nigel. Right, onward. With your back to rough trade, turn right. Back in the 90s, when I was still working as an artist, the only cafes in the area were Bengali curry houses, a bit like the ones you pass by on Brick Lane. You could get a plate of dal and rice very cheaply then, which was ideal for a struggling artist. Walking down the alleyway, you'll reach a big open yard with lots of food trucks. As soon as you reach the yard, take a left and carry on walking. So the food trucks are on your right. We're on our way to the Golden Heart, a local Neo-Georgian style pub, which has been part of the neighborhood since 1936 and a favorite haunt of artists for over 25 years. Sometimes I'd meet up with other artists who had studios here and go to the Golden Heart for a pint. There was a great energy in the area and a strong sense of belonging within the artistic community, even though the place was still quite run down. The brick lane that you see today is very different to the bohemian brick lane of the early 90s. You should be approaching Hanbury Street up ahead. Regina will meet you at the corner. Thanks for exploring my brick lane with me. Thanks, Rachel. All right, we want to turn right at the corner. Keep on walking along the right-hand sidewalk towards the busy main road up ahead of you. I remember Brick Lane in the early 90s, and although it did have a lot of personality, it was really run down. Nowadays, some of the new cafes and shops are really nice, and the street art is stunning. Plus, there's still a lot of character. You just have to know where to look. Hopefully you've seen and experienced a lot of it today. The history is still here. The old exists next to the new here in Shoreditch, side by side. Okay, look to your left, across the street and up to the corner. You should see a pub. That's where we're headed. As we approach it, its sign will come into view, the Golden Heart. When it's safe, cross the street and stop on the other side. I'll meet you outside the entrance to the Golden Heart pub. As you approach the pub, do you see the bottle cap mosaic of the person on the front of the building? It's directly under the big bronze lettering that says the Golden Heart. To the right of the mosaic, there's an entrance to the pub. Go and stand by that door. Before you go in and explore, I want to hand you over to someone with a special link to the old Truman Brewery. 
Hi, I'm Jasper, and I work at the new Truman's Brewery. You've seen some of the old Truman's today. Well, when that closed in 1989, it seemed like the end of the road for one of the great British breweries. But 21 years later, a local Shoreditch beer merchant refounded Truman's Beer. And it's not just the name. We continue the legacy of the old Truman's in another important way, by using the original yeast that the old Truman's used to brew their beer. We found it in the National Yeast Archives, where it had been frozen for 50 years or so. The first beer we brewed with that yeast we called Lazarus. Truman's had risen from the dead. Now, you're about to head into the pub for a pint of Truman's beer. If beer isn't your forte, that's okay. You can order something else. But if it is a beer you're after, then there are two Truman's to choose from. Runner and Zephyr. If it's towards the end of the week, why not have a Zephyr because it's slightly stronger and has a nice fruity flavour. So, hit pause now and head inside. Unpause me when you're sitting at the bar with a well-earned pint. Hi again. Hopefully you're snug at the bar of the Golden Heart pub, enjoying a drink. This wooden bar is original, by the way. It's been here since 1936. And how's the beer? If you ordered a Truman's, then it was brewed up the road in Hackney Wick, where our brewery is now located. I got into brewing when I was a student. I lived at the top of a big hill and hated lugging beer all the way up. So I decided to brew my own. I love the fact that I now work in a brewery with so much history behind it. We're the biggest microbrewery in London, but of course we're far smaller than the old Truman's. In fact, just one of the old Truman's fermenting vessels, where the beer turns from sweet to bitter, would be the size of our entire brewery now, and three or four times higher. And the old Truman's had scores of these huge vessels. But the scale of beer making has completely changed since the 1800s. In those days, London's water was too toxic to drink, so more or less everyone drank beer. Plus, people were slightly less health conscious back then. But don't let a little thing like health put you off a perfectly good pint. Now, I'm going to leave you to finish your drink in peace. Put me on pause, and when you're ready, head outside and press play again. Regina will be waiting for you out there. Hi again. Are you back outside? Enjoyed your drink? Great. Our next stop isn't far off. Turn your back on the pub and look out across the wide, busy road in front of you. Over to your left, across the street, there's a row of red brick houses with swanky shop fronts on the ground floor. Do you see the ones? Behind those houses is the famous Vittlefield Market. It used to be London's biggest fruit and veg market. That's where we're headed. So let's cross over Commercial Street, which is the busy road in front of you. Cross when it's safe. I'll be waiting on the other side. Made it? Great. We're going to take a left and walk down this street with a busy road on our left. The shop fronts to your right are part of Spitalfields Market. The market owes its name to the former neighbourhood's hospital and monastery, St Mary's Spittal. In the 1600s, the market was run in a field next to the monastery. The monastery is long gone, but the market remains. Okay, you should be taking a right into Spitalfields Market. Head on inside. As you walk into the covered section of the market, you'll see a cluster of wooden benches in front of you. Wander over to those benches, see if you can find one that's free and take a seat. If there aren't any free, find somewhere comfortable to perch that's out of the way of foot traffic. Now you can watch the hubbub of a massive market in front of you. Look around. This is one of the finest market halls in London. A market opened on this spot for the first time in 1636 and traded until 1991. This building was made in the Victorian era. It was once the most important centre for fresh produce in all of London. Just fruits and veggies, quite different to what you see now, right? The market opens daily and houses a collection of artisan and independent retailers. On Thursday, it's mostly an antiques market and on Friday, it's fashion and art. But even though this place has changed a great deal, the architecture is still a reminder of its past. You just need to look at the roof and the cast iron columns that support it. They're a fine example of Victorian engineering. 
To paint a picture of what the market used to be like when it was still selling fruit and veg, here's Lou, former Spitalfields resident and worker at the market. My father was born in Spitalfields, 1890. He worked there from an early age, 10, 11, you know, till he, till he died. He always went to the market every day. It was in his blood. He was a market porter that cared for the job he was doing. He was the only porter I know that knew watercress contained iron. He'd say to me, you need iron for your blood, son, see? <laughs> and when I was a pimply teenager, eat plenty of onions, son. Onions contain sulphur, see? That was my dad and my mother too. I grew up a health fanatic, really. <laughs> And then, when I got older, I went to work in Spitalfields Market. It was father-son. You couldn't just work in the market. That's the way it worked. Father-son. Because working in the market was, was good money. You know, a lot, lot more than a bus driver or a train driver or a postman, you know. So that's the reason. But I, I enjoyed the work. You had your barrow, some of all 20 bags of peas, and you take them out we'll wheel them out to where they were parked and we'd load up the lorry and we'd still get paid for each each bag. It might be like two pence a bag. Well, you take 20 bags out, that was 40, 40 pence each. And it builds up and builds up. And at the end of the week, it, it was a good job. You worked hard. Thanks, Lou. OK, this is our last stop on the detour and I'm going to leave you here to explore. I really hope you enjoyed getting to know this part of Shoreditch its history and the waves of settlers that have made it so special. For me personally, Shoreditch will always conjure the essence of all those newcomers that made and keep making this place their home. Whether it's silk weavers, beer brewers, street artists or chocolate makers. I think that all that resourcefulness, creativity and resilience of making a life for yourself in a new place is all around you as you walk the streets of Shoreditch. So it's time for me to say my goodbyes. As we say in Bengali, Bidaya.